0: You beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco show and a few things before we get started. One, welcome to my new office. We successfully moved over the weekend. And by that, I mean, everything outside of this room is in shambles. We're getting there. Luckily the team just absolutely killed it over the weekend. Two, I mean, some of y'all just don't believe me. Congratulations to last month's $5,000 winners. $5,000 richer all, because you clicked a little button on YouTube. But also the fantastic news for the 99.99999% of you who did not when after you hit the like button on today's video, which I know you always do because you love supporting the show. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel, get your friends and your family to subscribe. Maybe you personally, you're new to the channel, hit that subscribe button for your chance to get $5,000 at the end of this month. And let's just jump into it. Starting off with social and entertainment news, we had a wide, range of stories. First up, we've got the three ring circus and clown show that is Jake Paul. In the news, many people have been wondering who he is going to fight next, especially because near the end of last month, things appeared to be getting more legitimate with Jake Paul signing a deal with Showtime Sports. All right, it's a multi-fight deal. And so people were going, okay, is he actually going to fight someone that is one, a boxer or two has ever in their life knocked someone out with their fists. I mean, to date in public fights, Jake Paul has fought and beaten a YouTuber, a crab, a former basketball player, and Ben Askren who throws punches like this. And we got the answer and confirmation today, Jake Paul will be fighting Tyron Woodley. Which, hey, yeah, he's still picking a UFC fighter, but, Woodley's got hands. And on one hand, you had a lot of people going, yes, Tyron Woodley is a guy that has actually knocked out trained killers. But at the same time, you had a number of people saying that Jake Paul is picking kind of one of the safest, legitimate fights that he could. Noting that Woodley has lost his last four fights and actually has not won since 2018. Yeah, ultimately we're gonna have to wait and see. Is Jake Paul overconfident here? Is he biting off more than he can chew? Or is he gonna make another person a meme? Then we had actress Ellie Kemper in the news, trending on Twitter. I think a lot of people clicking on that going, oh, is there another season of or a spin-off of Kimmy Schmidt? The answer was uh, no, not that. Uh, and instead, a lot of people on Twitter calling her a KKK princess. Yeah, so the way it started is with tweets like this, sharing a photo of Ellie in 1999 as the winner of the Veiled Prophet, Queen of Love and Beauty pageant when she was 19 years old and people digging up the ball's old and racist history. Right, so a lot of people here are referencing a 2014 article in the Atlantic about the event, which says that it was started in St. Louis in 1878 by Confederate cavalrymen and local civic leaders who wanted to make a Mardi Gras-like event. It also involved a secret board of local elites choosing an anonymous veiled prophet who would then choose a queen of love and beauty. With the article saying that one of the reasons that it was started was to enforce the power of the elite as there was growing labor unrest throughout the city. Saying the primary goal was to take back the public stage from populist demands for social and economic justice, with it being meant to reinforce the values of the elite on the working class of the city. And adding, in fact, to underline the message of class and race hegemony, the image of the first veiled prophet is armed with a shotgun and pistol and is strikingly familiar in appearance to a Klansman. And in fact, for several decades, neither Jewish people nor African-Americans were allowed to participate in the ceremony. And even in the early years of the event, there was public backlash against, for amongst other things, racist stereotypes that were portrayed. And so what we ended up seeing with this is in the 90s, the name of the event changed to the Fair St. Louis, but much of the tradition regarding power structures remained with St. Louis's own website saying, the traditional VP celebration has represented for St. Louisans a perceived link between different components of the community in a holiday celebration, while also reinforcing the notion of a benevolent cultural elite and noting that it was created by white male community leaders. And so while yes, it definitely obviously has racist Roots, reports are also noting that it has no known ties to the KKK. And so as far as what all of this has meant for Ellie Kemper, well, obviously online, there was still a ton of backlash. You also had people saying things like, the Ellie Kemper thing is hilarious, but you people don't really think she's like a secret Nazi agent and not just from some dumbass town where they make you square dance, right? As well as the likes of Sarah Moldovsky, a museum educator in St. Louis doing a huge thread on this event and adding that while well, yes, The ball is rooted in a deeply troubling past. Today, many daughters of wealthy people participate in it and its roots are clearly left out as we know organizations whitewash history. So many young teenage girls participate in this because of family pressures with no idea of the background. And adding in fact, many St. Louis residents are unaware and adding that she was born and raised there but didn't know about it until she started working in the history museum sector. Then let's talk about making babies. Not me though, I'm done. I got two, got the snip snip, playing man-on-man defense for life. But uh, you know how recently we talked about the US birth rate being low there being some concern there. Well, it's not actually just a US centric problem. This is an international issue. The United States has a birth rate of around 1.84. Usually uses immigration to help fill those gaps. With a birth rate of 2.1, or they they refer to it as a replacement rate, which is a a weird way, but an accurate way of describing what uh, making children is. Yeah, 2.1 to keep a population stable. Yeah. I mean, South Korea, for example, last year, they had a birth rate of 0.84, the lowest in the world. And then you also have, and it's the focus today, China, who last year had 12 million births, which notably is down 18% annually and is the fourth straight year of declines. With a number of experts saying they believe the population there will peak in 2025, and then you potentially have an issue. Because as Morning Brew explains, fewer babies equal fewer future workers, and it could upend existing systems of support for the elderly because younger workers' taxes subsidize public services for retirees. So because of this growing fear, China changed their policy on children yesterday, right? If you're unfamiliar, Back in 1979, China enacted a one child per household policy over fears that they didn't have resources to provide for a growing population. They then changed that in 2015 so people could have two children. And now post pandemic with these growing concerns, they have made it so that married couples can now have three children. But here's the thing, experts think that it might not actually help out. When China instituted the two child policy, that didn't really result in more births. And like in a lot of places, including the United States, when you ask young people, why are you not having babies? A big part of it is I don't have the time or the money. you a 26 year old professional there in the New York Times saying, no matter how many babies they open it up to, I'm not going to have any because children are too troublesome and expensive. Also, it's not just direct monetary costs, but for women in particular, it's the cost of pausing or potentially losing careers. But also uh, I should note, not every place is worried about lowering birth rates. You also have places like Africa, whose population is set to double by 2050, which is also part of the reason that the global population is not expected to go down, right? It's around 7.8 billion today. It is expected to be 11 billion by the year 2100. From that, I want to take a second to think the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Athletic Greens. You know, Athletic Greens is designed to fill nutritional gaps in your diet with just one scoop. It supports energy and gut health, your immune system, and stress. Also, its 75 ingredients include a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotics, superfood greens blend, and more. So you don't need most other individual supplements overtaking your countertop. And Athletic Greens is perfect whether you're a working professional and athlete, just a busy parent like me and my wife. Athletic Greens is also in powder form and more bioavailable than pill-based supplements, so your body can absorb the nutrients. It mixes well with water and it's honestly the best tasting greens I've ever tried and less than one gram of sugar per serving. It's basically become my nutritional insurance for the day since it's a habit that I can actually stick to. And the best part, they're giving you added immune system support with a free one year supply of vitamin D plus five individual travel packs with your purchase. So head on over to athleticgreens.com slash Franco or just click the link down below to get their best offer of all time. Offer is only available in the United States. Canada, UK, and Europe as of right now. So do not miss out. Then in international news, we should definitely talk about this deeply troubling and shocking news coming out of Canada. So if you haven't seen, it was reported as we were going into the weekend and that's often how you kind of like miss stories. In Canada, there was a mass grave found with the remains of what is believed to be 215 children. Reportedly in British Columbia, it was a school that was set up to assimilate indigenous people. It ended up being closed back in 1978. And the details, I mean, it's just an absolute horror show. As the BBC explained, Canada's residential schools were compulsory boarding schools was run by the government and religious authorities, right? So they were forcing these kids in. And the Kamloops Indian residential school was the largest in the residential system. It was opened under the Roman Catholic administration in 1890. The central government took over in 1969. According to Roseanne Casimir, chief of one of the communities there, to our knowledge, these missing children are undocumented deaths and adding, some were as young as three years old. Following this news coming out, you had Justin Trudeau saying that this was a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. I am thinking about everyone affected by this distressing news we are here for you, and while this story is is horrifying and it's heartbreaking on its own, what's really scary is this is just a small piece of a much bigger problem and an issue in the past. Right from 1863 to 1998, reportedly more than 150,000 indigenous children were taken from their families and placed in these schools. And while there, the children were often not allowed to speak their language or practice their culture. And many of course were mistreated and abused. And notably with all of this, two notable things happened in 2008. One, the Canadian government formally apologized for this system. And two, a commission that was launched in 2008 to document the impacts of the system found that large numbers of indigenous children were never returned to their home communities. And in fact, according to the missing children project, which documents the death and the burial places of the children who died while attending these schools. To date, more than 4,100 children who died while attending a residential school have been identified. so this most recent finding is kind of just the the little bit of the iceberg that's poking out of the water compared to the whole horrifying situation. Which, I mean, is also part of the reason why you have so many people saying we need to investigate even further than we already have. This is just one school out of over 130. And then finally today, let's talk about news around President Biden's infrastructure plan. Right, so like we talked about last week, Biden proposed a $2.3 trillion plan. Republicans came back in the 500 billion range. Biden comes down to 1.7 trillion. Senate Republicans then release a plan that's 928 billion. And with that, you had the Biden administration setting a deadline saying, I want to come to an actual compromise with Republicans by this weekend. With that later changing to June 7th, when Congress actually comes back from the Memorial Day break. And so with that, just being six, Days away, there's a question of, will we actually see compromise? It's unclear if they can actually meet somewhere. So with that question looming and the, the deadline getting closer and closer by the second, I reached out to and talked to transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg over the weekend. One of the first questions I asked him is with their two different plans, where are Republicans and Democrats actually Close, as well as areas where there's still a lot of debate?
1: Well, one area that you see uh, a lot of alignment is the idea that we got to do a lot around, for example, our roads and bridges. Uh, our number came in higher than theirs. We moved a little bit closer to theirs. Uh, there's a lot of work still to be done for them to be in the same place, but it's an area where you can tell we started in a more similar position. Other areas uh, we're really pushing for that uh, didn't seem to be a priority for Republicans, for example, rail and transit very important to this administration. I think very important to Americans. So many Americans depend on transit to get to where they're going. So our jobs plan calls for us to double the investment uh, in uh, transit in the United States. But
0: as we talked about last week, one of the areas that Republicans and Democrats are furthest apart is how to actually fund this plan, right? Biden wants to pay for the plan by raising corporate taxes. Republicans have rejected that instead, wanting to spend unspent COVID relief money. When I asked Buttigieg, is this the area where Republicans and Democrats differ the most, he agreed. Would you say the area that Democrats and Republicans are, are kind of furthest right now Uh, other than that would be funding? uh, Because it does appear that Republicans have flatly rejected uh, the plan to raise corporate taxes.
1: Yeah, I think it's accurate to say that's probably where we've been the furthest apart. And remember, even though this is a big, big plan, right? We We started at two plus trillion dollars. He's also laid out how to fund it in its entirety without asking uh, most ordinary Americans to to pay more in taxes? We think that corporations need to be paying their fair share. A majority of corporations, uh, or, or sorry, a number of, of corporations, uh, pay to zero on billions of, of taxes, uh, and uh, you know that that just doesn't make sense. We're not calling for a very high tax rate. We're calling for a tax rate that's lower than it's been most of the time uh, since we've been alive, but uh, more balanced than where we are right now. We've not found a a very detailed uh, plan on an alternative for how to pay for that that wouldn't uh, require something the president's not willing to do, which is uh, put it on ordinary Americans. So clearly a lot of work to do if we're going to come to terms on on, uh, what they call the pay for. So the the question of how are you going to pay for all of this? Now, there are other funding sources that have come into the discussion. Uh, One that's interesting is uh, uh, financing authorities, uh, getting some private dollars into the mix. And and that has its place, Uh, but it's not going to be able to do all of the heavy lifting here, which is why we think, uh, certainly the the president thinks that what we've put forward uh, is the, the best route so far, which is to just get corporations to pay their fair share. And by the way, you know who benefits a lot from us doing this is corporations because we've become more competitive. This is good for The American people. It's also good for business. And so regarding the financing, it does appear that
0: Republicans want to finance almost everything entirely using unused COVID relief funds. Is that something that the administration would consider? Uh, And if not, why not?
1: I'd really think twice before turning to the COVID relief dollars. Remember, these are dollars going out to small businesses, rural hospitals, restaurants, cities, communities that that really need those dollars, and they're doing a lot of good. We're saving jobs today by creating certainty about tomorrow. That's what the rescue plan was about, and uh, you'd really want to think twice uh, before going back into those dollars and clawing them back, especially, again, when we don't have to.
0: But even beyond funding levels and mechanisms, top Republican negotiators have repeatedly said that there is a fundamental disconnect over what constitutes infrastructure. Well, Republicans believe that it needs to be traditional definitions like roads and bridges, the Biden administration thinks that it should go beyond that. For example, as Buttigieg explained.
1: We found that things like having an elderly parent that that you need to stay and take care of or not being able to afford childcare, these are actually keeping people out of the workforce. So uh, I know that sounds pretty far afield from a construction job, but it may be that somebody doesn't have a chance to get a construction job because she or he is, is stuck Uh, taking care of somebody because of our failed care infrastructure. That's how these things fit together and that's why we think we need to do them all at once. But
0: uh, ultimately we're gonna have to wait to see where the negotiations go, what happens next week, will the deadline be met? or not. Uh, Personally, I am a cynic. But uh, ultimately with this story and interview, or honestly anything else that stood out to you today, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below because this is the end of today's show. As always, thank you for being a part of this little family, watching the videos, liking, subscribing, all the good stuff. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.